RadioInfluence.com. Welcome in to a new episode of the MMA Report Podcast. It is the midweek edition of the show. Of course, it's myself and Daniel Galvan. Daniel, I'm going to go right into an audio clip right as we start the show. For people who did not hear this, last night, Dana White does his post-fight scrum following the Contender Series, which to me is one of the more interesting times to hear Dana White talk because we always don't hear him talk about, you know, at, you know before or after a UFC fight night card. And this question was asked. You've told us a few times over the, this season that uh, you might get softening with age. Was there a part of you that was just thinking, you know, please don't get hurt, or were you just like, fuck it, just bleed? <laughs> on, on what? With, with Raul Rosas, were you protective of him at all? Because he's so young and he's the youngest by quite a few years. Were you hoping that he wasn't going to get hurt? Or? No, I, I, yeah, I mean, we hope they all don't get hurt. I mean, we don't want to see anybody get hurt. Uh, the question is, you know, bef before they come in here, do you believe that they're at the level that they can compete here at the Contender Series? You know, it's not like we brought this kid right into the UFC. We brought him into the Contender Series. He fought a guy whose record was close to his. The only difference between the two was age. And you saw during the fight that they were very well matched. I mean, that, that was as good a matchmaking as you will ever see. I mean, th that, that fight reminded me at some points of uh, BJ Penn and Joe Daddy Stevenson when they fought high level, badass jujitsu, you know, and, and, and both guys, you know, going back and forth. I mean, he was even caught in a deep, nasty guillotine that he didn't choke to and didn't go to sleep to. It was, that, was, that was some high level shit. <laughs> Man. Uh, Daniel, first off, it takes a ball to ask the question in that manner. There's no other sport where that question is being asked, <laughs> but it's ingrained into our psyche. And I want it on a t-shirt. F it just bleed. I want to wear it to work tomorrow. I mean, just, uh, just classic. And man, I tell you what the contender series is, uh, I don't even know why they bring out chairs for them to sit on because they won't be sitting on them very long. Each and every week in the Contender Series, they are signing up just about everybody who gets a W. And uh, since that bummer of a first week, it appears that the fighters have got the memo, and the memo is F it, just bleed. Which could also be, by the way, the uh, the the mantra for the damn fight night card we saw, bro. Oh, my God, there was so much blood there with the cuts and whatnot. But damn, Raul. Rosa, 17 years old, Jason. I'm 10 years older, and I just feel so old watching him fight. Yeah, so I had a chance to talk to Raul back in the beginning of July. His management company hit up me about him and said, hey, he's 17 years old. He's 5 and knows and pro, trains in Las Vegas, love to get on the show. And so the day his Contender Series fight gets announced, all of a sudden my email starts blowing up with comments on YouTube. And I'm like, what's going on? And then so I hit the management company. I go, hey, something going on with Raul? They're like, oh, you haven't heard? I go, no. He goes, oh, he's fighting the contender series against Mando Gutierrez. I'm like, oh. So as uh, and so there's been a, a ton of comments on, on the video on YouTube. You can see it over there. Uh, you know, it's a, a conversation. I'll say you get to know who this kid is. And he's a kid. He turns 18 years old at the beginning of next month. There was a special waiver that had to be done to be allow him to fight 
last night on the contender series. But boy, Dan, you you watching that contender series fight? This is a super talented kid, and after he won that fight, there wasn't a doubt in my mind that he was going to be signed. I know a lot of people thought he was going to get signed to a development deal. I'm like, no, I think they're bringing this guy in. Is you know, and I think the UFC. I think we have seen a shift over the last six months to a year of understanding when you have these young fighters that you bring in about building them the right way. You know, back in the day, the UFC would just throw fighters to the fire. I don't think you're seeing that so much anymore. Yeah, there are so many events and so many fights that fighters can develop on these fight night events, on these Apex cards. They're almost like beefed up version of the contender series. And we saw it this past Saturday with so many contender series fighters getting fights. There's an opportunity for Raul to become the youngest ever UFC champion, but still have that time in his year 18, year 19, year 20, you know, three years to get fights that aren't, you know, unethical, right? In a way where we feel uncomfortable about this 18-year-old kid going up against a top 15 killer. I think the UFC is going to have patience with him. You know, much the same way that they've had patience with someone like Patty Pimblett, for example, or how I will imagine they will have patience with Bo Nickel once he makes his way over to the UFC, which he must have been the one guy shaking his head when Raul Rosas got signed. He's like, really? I got the developmental deal, but this guy's got pre-cal tomorrow and he's already in the UFC. Uh, he's the one guy I felt bad for because I will say Bo Nickel already deserves that UFC contract based on his performances. For Raul, it's crazy to think that, and I I read this on on Reddit, there was a Reddit thread about him getting signed, but it's crazy to think that he's 17 years old, you know, the tail end of a fighter's prime usually is 34 years old, for instance, and by the time he gets to that age, he will have lived his life a whole second time, and it's literally his age times two. It's crazy to think that his opponent, who was 25, he's eight years away from being 25, so... You know, when you think of young fighters in the UFC, some have had great success, like Max Holloway. Some have had some success in Flounder, like Paige Van Zant, and, and some haven't had too much success at all, like Sage Northcutt. I think for Raul, looking at the one fight I've seen, I've only seen the Contender Series fight, all I got to say is this kid is a very entertaining grappler, and I'm excited to see as he continues to fill out and his other skills develop. I, I think clearly... I would like to see his stand-up. His stand-up looked okay, but there wasn't much opportunity to see it. But I must say, he was a very riveting fighter to watch, Jason. He had my attention the entire time. And every single time he fights, I will be sure to watch that fight. Yeah, it, it was super exciting fight to watch for people who did not see it. So his management uh, informed me of something today about Raul. So yesterday, heading into this fight, he had 3,000 followers on Instagram. As we record this show, he now has 107,000. That's amazing. That's a just imagine the notifications every single time he <laughs> logs on Instagram. And, and there is just something about him. And it's not just the fact that he's 17 years old. I think you listen to his post fight interview and he's just he, he's a he's a great character and a, and a great talent. So he's obviously someone we're going to be talking about often throughout the show. He's going to be someone we're going to use as an example. Moving forward, when we see more 18-year-old, 19-year-old fighters, we're going to use him as either, hey, if he has a talent level, put him in the deep end already, or, hey, pull the brakes on these guys. Don't let him get too much tread on their tires. 
So Raul's going to be very interesting, and I, I'm certainly looking forward to it, man. I, I think he's a hell of an addition, and if you play the stock market game in this sport, I think anyone uh, w- w- would buy stock in him. But for him, it's all about development. The one thing I would push back on when I listened to his post-fight interview is he was talking about how it's like, yeah, I'll fight next week. I'll fight all the time. That's what I want to do. I want to scrap all the time. The one thing I would push back on is to really invest that time in between fights to garner his skills and not go fight camp to fight camp because I really believe you will benefit more from that time in between fight camps that is just specifically for developing your skills. So I hope he prioritizes that as he moves along with his career as an 18-year-old. Yeah, I mean, look, I think if he was... 19 years old, 20 years old. I don't think it's as much of a story about his age, but I think it's because he currently is 17. As I mentioned, he turns 18 like in two weeks. He turns 18 on October the 4th. But, uh, you know, no doubt in my mind that they were going to sign him. It was a very entertaining contender series uh, fight card for people who did not see that uh, exciting matchup. And you're right, like you said earlier, it's like it just seems like there's a sign anyone who wins on a contender series at this point, which makes you wonder is a roster purge coming at some point? Or maybe could we see more UFC events in 2023. One of the things that I mentioned to someone I I speak to in the MA industry on on a frequent basis, I said, I really wonder, could we see a shift in how the UFC is doing business in terms of, you know, for forever in the UFC, they have relied on the regional promotions to be their, you know, for you say a a baseball analogy, they're double A and triple A affiliates. If we're using that baseball analogy, I wonder if the contender series, which has been a 10 week run week, 10 is next week. I wonder, could we maybe see at some point the contender series go to say a 15, 20 week format that goes over the entire calendar year. And that ultimately becomes the triple A of the UFC. I think that's definitely what's going to happen. I just feel like we're, we're moving towards that, not away from something like that happening. And I do think, you know, the regional promotions will still be around. The, the, even though they did 56 events a year, there will still be places for fighters to fight outside the UFC to gain entry into the UFC. But I do think without a doubt, at some point, they're going to do away with the seasonal format of the Contender Series. And it will just be a constant throughout the calendar year. Dana even mentioned the fact of he believes that the contender series will ultimately end up on ESPN, which I think makes a ton of sense, but also ESPN could look at this and say, man, this is a great way to sell subscriptions for ESPN plus. Now, my biggest takeaway from Dana white last night was when you watch these post fight press conference with Dana following contender series, I would say usually 30 to 40% of the questions will be about what happened that night of the contender series or maybe the following week's contender series. And the rest of it is about everything else that's going on in the UFC. And because it's a Tuesday, it's, it makes a ton of sense because what happens is on a Tuesday is the UFC had their matchmaker meeting that day. So a lot of things are pretty fresh in Dana White's mind. And he was asked about Aspen Ladd, who missed weight last week. Aspen Ladd missed weight again. I just wanted, wanted to know your your plans for her. Um, is she going to kind of be banned at bantamweight or at, at bantamweight and then kind of forced to go to featherweight? Like, what do you do with her? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, that's, you know. I do know, but we probably talk about that at the appropriate time. But, yeah. 
The way Dana answered that question, Daniel, is what stuck out to me the most about it. He was very he was making sure to choose his words wisely. A lot of things came to my mind when I hear that quote. Now there was not a follow-up question. Like my first thought was, has a decision been made that they are cutting Aspen Ladd? That they've said, you've missed weight three times. You know what? We're we're going to part, part ways with you. The second thought that came to my mind is have they told her camp that if she wants to continue in the UFC, it'll be at 145 and her camp has given some pushback on that or C is there maybe a medical issue that they have uncovered on why she's unable to make 135 pounds? Yeah, it could be any of those three things or maybe, or maybe the fourth thing is the management team just didn't give them pushback and she will be moving to 145. I doubt it's that one. My gut instinct tells me it's, they're probably parting ways to Aspen land and that could be good for her. She could make some money in the PFL fighting in the featherweight tournament, you know, being a new, uh, a new, um, like a, a new opponent for Kayla Harrison. Um, that's what I'm thinking, but C is a real option when it comes to him saying we could address it at a later point. But for Aspen lad, the thing is there really isn't a UFC featherweight division to compete in and making bantamweight is, is a real issue. So, unless there's some type of medical situation or something that we don't know that explains the consistency of, of missing weight and the scary nature of what it looks like when she attempts to miss make weight and she misses it. We've, we've had a scary instance with her. I, I do think we will not see her fight Bantamweight at UFC again. That is what I do feel like will happen. Yeah. I mean, if she were to get released and it's a PFL, I kind of do wonder, does she have enough size when you're talking about fighting at 155 pounds? Also, what what happens? At- oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, 155. Not, no. But at the end of the day, they're all bantam weights at 155, except yeah. for Kayla. But that's the thing to me, looking at the PFL in 2023, you know, they've already come out and said, Kayla, this is the last time that she's competing in the tournament. She'll be a pay-per-view fire. So it may, maybe we do see 145, you know, as a tournament for the PFL in, in 2023. You know, by the way, you know who one of the all-stars has to be of UFC Vegas 60 last weekend? Who's that? The sti- the doctor doing the stitches on Gregory Rodriguez. Like I saw first off, I saw that on my Instagram feed and I'm like, holy crap. And then like literally you essentially you see the vein in his forehead. Yeah, he literally looked like he had a unibrow. Uh it, it was back to back fights in the co main event and the main event of massive cuts and, and shout out to both or I don't know if it was one man doing the the, the work on both of them or two different guys on Gregory Rodriguez and then um, and then on Song Yudong in the main event, but they did great jobs where they were massive gashes above the eyes, and for Rodriguez, it allowed him to win the fight. This was the type of cut that bef- in between rounds, the fight would have could have been stopped and there would have been no controversy, and the referee was told if it gets bigger, call the fight. So Rodriguez, who lost the first round to Chidi, I mean, just a, a hell of a performance. And Rodriguez and Angel Kwani is the must-watch fight of this past weekend. I'm sorry, but it was a whole hell of a lot more entertaining than the Canelo Alvarez fight I watched, which was fine. It just wasn't great. But, yeah, man. I mean, fight night was all about the cuts, bro. Uh, the, 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 the canvas was completely bloodied. 
uh, because of the co-main event and the main event, there was even some blood in the Algeo-Philly fight, which I got to say, I don't know how that was a split decision for Bill Algeo. I also got to say Andre Feely performed better than I've ever seen, and that was a hell of a performance out of him. Song Yudong against Corey Sanhagen. I tell you what, this is one of those fights where Song, at 24 years old, to me, was impressive in a loss. He looked good in rounds one and two against Sanhagen. And it was what impressed me the most is when he got taken down, he had phenomenal defensive wrestling and defensive grappling at times. He was able to turn the takedown into a dominant position. So, uh, you know, Sanhagen deserved to win the fight. He caused the cut with the standing elbow. But it's a fight where both fighters' stocks did go up. When it comes to the rest of that fight night, Jason, to me, the story has got to be with uh, Damon Jackson, who was in a tough matchup against a guy in Pat Sabatini that had a lot of hype coming in. Jackson with a heavy heart lost his brother last week. He 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 rocked Sabatini with a front kick and then finished him shortly after. It was an emotional and, and a great win. And then the other guy who got the performance tonight bonus, Joseph Pfeiffer, a big favorite against Alan Amadowski. He showed why. Phenomenal performance, great post-fight interview. Joseph Pfeiffer is someone to circle when it comes to this guy could be a star down the line. He's just a great interview. So that was kind of my takeaways from that fight night event. You mentioned about Joe Pfeiffer, and that to me is an example of I believe how the UFC's matchmaking has has changed over the you know over the last year of when they find a a fighter that they believe has something that they're going to match them in a particular way, and that was a clear A side B side fight in that situation. I mean, you mentioned about Patty Pimlet earlier. I, I think we could see the same type of build with Joe Pfeiffer. Joe uh, came out and gave Dana White a lot of praises last night. Dana White was asked about that. And Dana White said that after Joe won on the contender series, because it came out, Joe Pfeiffer said that Dana White has helped him get housing and all this. And Dana was asked about it. And he says, he goes, look, you're not going to hear a lot of things that I do for fighters. He goes, but this was a situation where Joe told me that he was on the verge of being homeless and I wasn't going to let that happen. And I think it's kind of, you know, and I don't know the, the financial situation of Joe Pfeiffer, but there you see Dana White comes uh, to his defense there. But uh, no UFC this weekend. We do have a Bellator event. We'll talk about that a, bit, a little bit later. Now, last week, we debuted a new segment here on the show called Agree or Disagree and got a lot of great feedback. I always love when I get feedback on the show, uh, segments people like, segments they don't like. And this week's Agree or Disagree, we are going to go to two different Reddit posts I saw which uh, were one was from uh, the Reddit user 4soup3809, and the other one is from the Hardcore Casual. That is a great MMA Reddit username, by the way. And so we'll first off start off with the first post, which was year in hot takes. This was from the Hardcore Casual. So he's got nine hot takes here. Number one. Charles liquidates Islam inside a minute. I'm going to disagree with that one. But if Oliveira beats Islam Mahachev, it's probably the way he does it, I think. I think it's it's a quick and, and early finish. So I, I disagree. Uh, I'm thinking that doesn't happen. I would disagree just because Charles tends to be a slow starter. He's not a guy that gets off to a quick pace, but we both know in that matchup, he's going to have to stop the takedown. Number two, John Jones versus Stipe looks like Tony versus Nate. So old and slow and sad that it ends any hype for their next fight and effectively 
their careers. I'll disagree with this one, Daniel. Yeah, John Jones is not going to look slow, I don't think. I know he's 35 years old, and it's been two years since we've seen him fight, but I still have full confidence that uh, that's not the case. I'm going to I'm gonna disagree as well. These takes are too hot. <laughs> Number three, Leon Edwards will have the same fight he had against Usman against Colby. What does that mean? I think that means I would take that as saying that the fight's going to play out very similar with kind of the how it played out. And then ultimately he knocks out Colby Covington late in the fight. Um, I think the Colby Covington fight would be a different fight because I believe Colby would utilize his wrestling much more than Usman has. I mean, look, let's, when we think about Kamar Usman, this is a guy that really has showcased his striking over the past year or two. Um, I will disagree with this one just because I think Colby's uh, pace and his wrestling will be too much for Leon Edwards if that fight ever look, happens. I'm a- I'm going to disagree with this one because Leon losing and then winning with the Hail Mary head kick is something we've never seen in this sport. And based on the fact that we've never seen it before, I don't think we're going to immediately see it in the next Leon Edwards fight. I disagree that we will have back-to-back all-time UFC moments from Leon Edwards. Number four, Habib makes a comeback against Charles in 2023. Oh, I agree. I agree. I just, uh, look, if Oliveira beats Mahachev, that fight's happened. And I don't know who I'm picking in that fight. That fight's coming up sooner and sooner each week. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with this hot take. My caveat would be this. If Islam is unsuccessful next month, I would agree with this statement. I think that would bring Habib out of retirement because we know never believe retirement's in MMA. We'll talk about retirement's in MMA a little bit later. But I think I like Islam Mahachev against Charles Oliveira, so I'll disagree with this one. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm going to have to agree with my man. Finally, I, I found something <laughs> I agree with. Number five, Connor fights Tony Ferguson and retires and says he's been dealing with injuries since he became since he came to the UFC that forced him to retire. Uh, I'm going to disagree. You had me until the very end, but I'm going to disagree. I don't even think he fights Ferguson, bro. Like, I don't think they would make that matchup. But if he does retire, which is possible because he's retired seven times already, I don't think he's going to use that as the example. Yeah, I just don't think Connor comes back to fight Tony Ferguson. I mean, I think if that fight were to happen, that means Connor fights early on, 2023, loses, and then he's fighting, you know, Ferguson, say, middle of 2023. I would just disagree just because I think that fight just never happens. Yeah, yeah. We're on the same page on that one. Number six, Darren Till never wins another fight ever again. That's insane. That now that tw- that is a hot take, Daniel. He's twenty nine years old. He may never win a UFC fight again. Probably will. But if he does leave the UFC winless, I don't think he's gonna not fight again. He's gonna fight somewhere in England or fight in a PFL or Bellator. He's gonna get an easy opponent. Darren Till's really talented. This is BS. I uh, I disagree. Yeah, I disagree with you. To say he's never wins that fight ever again is just, I mean, that's a hot take, but I would disagree with this. I will say this next one, number seven, I'm going to agree with. Magomed Ankalaev becomes the light heavyweight champion. Look, I'm going to agree with this too. In fact, I would say if you look at the 15 contenders that aren't the champion, 
Ankalaev to me is the most likely fighter to become the champion, followed by maybe like Alexander Rakic. But I'm going to agree. I think Ankalaev is the most likely fighter to become light heavyweight champion amongst non-light heavyweights. Number eight, Amanda Nunez defends her belt three more times. I disagree with this. I don't think we get to three times. I think she retires before she ever gets to that. Yeah, I, I, I'm on the fence on that. I'm going to disagree. I'm going to agree. I'm going to agree. I could see her do it three more times. I, I think that's the question. It's not a question of is she going to lose. It's a question of is she going to fight three more times. And I do think that the win over Juliana Pena has really relit the torch. And I think that torch will be carried at least three more times. Number nine is another extreme hot take here. Yair Rodriguez KOs Alexander Volkanovsky. Yeah, look, Yair's got great hands. Alexander Volkanovsky is the best fighter on the planet. I believe uh, this is a hot take. Yeah, I would disagree with him, but man, that's a hot take. Now, Foreign Soup 3809, he has his year in bitter pill to swallow takes. He's got five mm-hmm. of them. Number one. So let me just say before we get into this, this is what he wrote. He goes, inspired by a post in the subreddit, here are some of the things that most of the MMA fans don't want to hear, but I consider as truth. Number one, Tony will never win another fight against a ranked opponent anymore. Oh, I got to agree with that. I'm sorry, but no one in the UFC, everyone in the UFC's top 15, I could see him um, losing to. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to, unfortunately, for t- for Tony, uh, agree with that. Although, maybe uh, maybe he'll beat a ranked fighter in Bellator. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Tony Ferguson is, and I would, I agree with this as well. The thing is, is he's had moments in his last two fights. But ultimately, they've not gone his way. And I just don't know fighting at 170. When you start fighting legitimate 170 pound fighters guys who are legitimately cutting 10 15 pounds to make 170 i just don't know how how well it works out for tony ferguson dude, dude i gotta say this you know what fight i want to see i'm just looking at these rankings okay i want to see tony ferguson take on michelle Ferrer. that's that's wild that's it would be crazy. it would be a crazy fight but man i just don't see that goes well for tony yeah but michelle's kind of crazy so he might leave some openings but you're probably right number two Stipe has zero chance to beat any top contender plus John Jones, and it won't even be close. Uh, it depends on what you define as top contender. Like, I think Stipe has a real chance to beat Ty Tuivasa, Derek Lewis. Do I think Stipe has a real chance to beat Curtis Blades? I don't know. He's getting up there in age. Uh, I'm going to agree with this. I'm going to agree with this. I think, look, Stipe versus Gon. I like Gon. Stipe versus Nganu. I like Nganu. Stipe versus Pavlovich. It's a fight I probably will pick Stipe in, but I don't know if Pavlovich is a top contender quite yet. But I'm going to agree with this. I would disagree with that. I think that Stipe does got a shot against these top contenders, but I think the one thing I always wonder about, Father Time catches I always talk about this. Father Time catches up with everyone, and Stipe just has not been an active fighter. Maybe that's a good thing, but I, I do think that he's got a chance. I mean, like you mentioned about Ata Tuavasa. I would like Stipe's opportunities to that with, with utilizing the wrestling. The, the Curtis Blades fights, to me, is a really interesting fight just because of both of them having that wrestling abilities. Number three. Islam beats Charles quite easily. I disagree, man. Uh, 
The reason being is even off of his back, Oliveira, I believe, will make this fight interesting. On the feet, I like Charles over Islam. And I, on the ground, yeah. I mean, look, I like Islam to beat Oliveira just because of his overall game, but I would not say quite easily. I think it'll be a very tough fight. He's got to watch himself when he takes up the fight to the ground because we all know how dangerous Charles is off his back. So I'll disagree on this statement just because those last two words quite easily. Number four. Izzy will outpoint Alex and don't expect any flashy stuff from that fight. Oh, I agree big time. Unfortunately, I agree. I hope it's not the case, but we've seen this a couple of times at Adesanya. He's a phenomenal fighter, which doesn't always mean the best fights. And I can see him fighting a smart fight, which is, um, I don't know, not getting in range with Pereira. So I agree with this. I agree with this as well. I mean, I think that you're going to see a point. I mean, and Izzy is a guy that is not beneficial in the UFC. I mean, that's just the, that's the reality of the situation. And I mean, I think if there's any flashy things you see in that fight, it'll come from the Alex side of the equation. I don't know if you, I don't know if you saw the video of him and Glover sparring like they're in a phone booth fight. Mm-hmm. That, that yeah. was that was uh, I was it was on someone's Instagram I saw and I'm like good lord like these dudes are literally <laughs> an inch from each other just throwing some bungalows. Yeah, man, and I was like, I don't know if I would recommend this for either of these individuals at this point in their careers, especially Glover. Uh, number five, number five, Dustin, Justin, and Chandler's time as top contenders will be will will be end soon. I'm going to disagree just because you're giving me three top fighters and I know that they all have tread on their tires. It wouldn't be surprising if you told me they were all retired in two years, for instance. But if you're telling me at least one of them has to still be a top contender, like a couple years from now, I will, I will ride with them. I will ride a Gaethje. I'll ride a Poi. I'll ride with Chandler and I will disagree with this. I will agree slash disagree on this in a way. If Chandler doesn't beat Poirier, I agree with it. The problem is, I think if Poirier gets a win, he might get the next title matchup. <laughs> Gaethje's interesting one. Guy's taking a lot of damage. If I got to go one way or the other, I, pr- I probably would agree more than I would disagree on that one. But it's got to be all three. I, I disagree. I, I just feel like maybe one or two of them, but not all three. Yeah, there was a, another thing I didn't put in the rundown, but I saw this uh, article a little earlier. It was over on MMA Fighting. I think it kind of fits uh, this one. The headline, Francis Ngannou criticizes the lack of control fighters have when dealing with the UFC. We have no power. How do you not agree with this, Daniel? When's the last time a fighter won against the UFC? Nate Diaz, I guess, but not really because he was still forced to fight. Yeah, But yeah, no, not really. I mean... The only person who has done well when negotiating with the UFC is probably Connor. I mean, he was able he was able to get a fight with Floyd Mayweather happening, you know, which is kind of crazy to think about when it comes to how exclusive the UFC is. But yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah, so Ngannou was on uh, Sirius XM Radio on their MMA show, and this was a quote: "He goes, when you look at the sport, you think everything is perfect. No, I don't think everything is perfect. Over time, I realize there's a lot of issues that can be fixed. I was getting frustrated at some point because I felt unprotected, which is exactly the situation that all fighters are in too. I would like the UFC to consider their position in a lot of things now regarding fighters, sponsorships." 
I think fighters should also have the right to put a sponsor on their shirt, not just for the company to make money on it. Why not? They are not making money out of it. I understand that they want to make this uniform. They want to make the sport look clean. I understand that. Or not to let any type of sponsor get into the octagon or not let any unappealing sponsor or brand get into the octagon, which I truly agree with. But we should have some sort of way to check and approve certain sponsors so you can bring a sponsor inside the UFC and make money over. I'm sure over time, UFC fighters, we are losing a lot of power. The company is getting is getting big, getting stronger, and we have no power. I, I don't, you have to agree with that statement. I mean, it is, I mean, outside of Conor McGregor, I mean, it's a rarity in this sport that we have seen a fighter have leverage on the UFC. Yeah. I mean, the tide is, might change down the line, maybe, you know, next three, four, five years. But as present day, that statement rings true. And if it's coming from the heavyweight champion of your promotion, he's got some validity to it. Yeah, I was when I was scrolling down my Twitter timeline today. I saw that Kale McLaren was on Air Hawani show, and uh, Jedi Goodman had had posted this clip from the interview where uh, Campbell said that he believes in due time that fighter contracts in MMA are going to change, and he's alluding to the antitrust lawsuit that's going on. That's going to be very interesting. Also, a funny clip about uh, Kale McLaren talking about who the number two MMA organization in the world is, and basically says, "Well, if we look at television numbers." here in the United States, we're number two because we're Nielsen rated. And he's not wrong. He is not wrong in terms of who is the second most watched MMA promotion in the United States. It is Combate Global. Now, they are obviously on Univision, a Spanish language station. But, you know, it's I, I was, you know, I was driving around today and I was thinking kind of about this whole number two organization. I'm like, what are what are what are these organizations spouting this off for? Like the I UFC probably has what 80, 90% market share. Yeah, probably more. Uh, look at somebody came into my house with a shotgun and they pointed it at me and they were like, if you don't name a fighter that fights in combat today, I'm going to shoot you. I would be dead. And I host a podcast every week talking about mixed martial arts. <laughs> so I'm sorry, Campbell. You, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I find this. And I mean, look, yes, we, we sit here every week and we talk about the sport. I sometimes find myself of like, there's so much mixed martial arts action out there going on that sometimes it's tough for me to kind of take it all in. I mean, there, there's stuff on the regional scene now. See, that's being on fight pass. Like, Hey man, I want to check that out, but I may not check it out live. It may be a week or two later by the time I check it out. I, I think it's just one of these things of as this sport has evolved, there's just so much content we can take in. And in a way, I think it's it's helped but also hurt the the sport of there's just so much content to take in that it's – I don't know how you can take it all in. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's 24 hours in a day. There's seven days a week. You might have weekly five hours already allocated to the UFC for their fight night or their pay-per-view. Yeah. You know, maybe more if you're watching it live. That's already five hours out of the the week. You have to job. You have to sleep. You have to watch other content. You have to hang out with your family. You have to go on dates. You have to live your life. There's just only so much time in a day, Jason. On Saturday, you're a nutcase if you're watching anything other than the UFC or Bellator event or whatever, you know, on on a Friday or whatever. It's just there's just not enough time. And, again, people that like MMA 
a lot of them don't exclusively like mixed martial arts. They like everything else. Just like me and you, my man, we love our football. Yeah. We, you know, this past weekend, I, I, I watched MMA. I watched the fight night, but I also watched all the football games. I watched Canelo's fight. I watched professional wrestling, which I'm a big fan of. And oh, yeah, there's also a whole crap load of scripted TV and movies that I'm interested in. And that's just content taking in. There's also, you know, being a human being and going outside. Yeah, I was I was in New Orleans. Uh, quality people watching on Saturday night. Very quality. Um, let's just say, so we went out to dinner at Drago's, had a great dinner. Could not believe we walked in and got a table immediately. Now, we had a big group with us, so I think that might have helped a little bit to get a bigger table that wasn't taken up already. But uh, went down to uh, Bourbon Street after it, and uh, so many things I could talk about. Daniel, I don't know why anyone brings their kid to Bourbon Street. Yeah, I, I, I really, I re, there's, I literally saw a dude walking down Bourbon Street with his newborn baby strapped to his chest. I'm like, what are you doing? I mean, at that point, I think you just have to separate the kid from the parent. I mean, that's just, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, you shouldn't see any, you shouldn't see a child there. You know, I don't want to see Raul Rosas. Uh, Bourbon Street. All right, it's 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 he's got to be in bed uh, doing homework. But uh, yeah, no, that's a uh, that's absolutely wild. I'm jealous, man. I, I wish uh, I wish I could be a Dragos. I mean, that alone uh, looks so delicious. Good. So good, bro. Yeah. I actually, you know, I started off with a dozen charboiled oysters, then I went to Gator Tacos. Was not mm. expecting it to be as spicy as it was. Yeah, I, I wouldn't either, but what, did they put a salsa on there or something? Yeah, there was like a salsa, but also um, some type of aioli they put over on top of it. It was delicious. Yeah, it was Oof. awesome. It was awesome. Man, yeah, leave it to this podcast every week to get me hungry. <laughs> yeah, that, that kind of happens, you know. It was uh, it was nice to be back in, back in my house at... 8 o'clock uh, on Sunday night after getting back from New Orleans. That was very nice. That is the one advantage of uh, playing in New Orleans at uh, 12 p.m. Central Time and, and getting back to Tampa at 8 o'clock. That, that is the one advantage of, of being there on, on the East Coast. But I had, had a good time. Uh, I will tell you, I'm, I'm, you know, I get to be home for like the next three or four weekends. I mean, that's, that's uh, exciting for me. Yeah, man. Uh, you've been on the road. Man, what a game that was. I mean... You did, that was uh, that was one of the best three three football games I've seen in a while. When it was three three, and uh, yeah, I'm glad you get to be home, and you know, it gives you some more time to watch some fights. I feel like you're always on the road, and then there's a pay per view. Like I feel like at UFC 280, you're probably on the road. If I had to guess, that's like four weeks from now. Uh, I know October 15th is when we go to Pittsburgh. Let's see when that is. I feel like that might be uh no, no. It's October twenty second. Let's see here. October twenty second. Where are you gonna be? October twenty second, uh I will be in Carolina. I told you. I t- and, and let's just test this one more time. Let's go to UC two eighty one. Where are you gonna be November twelfth? Germany. <laughs> All right, last one. December tenth. December tenth. San Francisco, San Francisco. (laughs) I'm telling you, every pay-per-view, we'll we'll do one last one. This is the only one in the books. Although, uh, January 21st in Brazil. That would be in the playoffs. Oh, so you'll be a home game. Yeah, yeah. That'll be, you know what would be interesting, though, is 
you know, because we, we're so U.S. centric here. I wonder what time the pay-per-view starts in Germany. I can I watch that on doing. ESPN Plus, or do I got to find like whoever has the the German TV rights for it? Yeah, I I don't know. I feel like you got to watch it at a German, like an American German bar that's showing the fights. But so yeah, as we do this show, it is eight o'clock East Coast time. So let me see what time it currently is in Germany. Uh, what time? This is great podcasting, by the way. Time is yeah, in Germany. So it is currently 2 a.m. in Germany. So I, I, there is no way I'm getting up at 4 a.m. to watch fights. No, no way. I think, uh, but I think it's one of those things where you're going to be able just to skim through the pay-per-view on, on the ESPN plus app, you yeah. know, in the morning with your coffee. So it's going to be efficient viewing for you. Yeah. yeah. Don't you, don't you like how I can just pick up on trends, you know? Uh, well, that's a nice segue there for you, Daniel. Because you pointed out this Reddit article on the Derek Lewis curse. And this is from the Reddit user Otter Breen. And this is what he wrote. Forgive me if this is more of an amateurish post, but this theory has been on mine for far too long. And I wanted to finally share it. Everyone is aware of the different MMA curses that plague fighters. Embedded haircut curse, shell sawing curse, Drake curse, etc. I'm here to shed light on one that I've noticed for the past few years. The Derek Lewis curse. Essentially, since this fight with Sean Jordan, fighters have a 100% rate of losing their next fight after defeating Derek Lewis. Let's take a look. Sean Jordan defeats Derek Lewis, loses next fight, next fight to Magomedov. Hunt defeats Lewis, loses next three fights of a career, and retires. Cormier defeats Lewis, loses next two fights, and his career retires. JDS defeats Derek Lewis, loses next five fights, and gets cut. Surreal Gone defeats Derek Lewis, loses his next fight in Ghana and his undefeated record. Tatu of Austin defeats Derek Lewis, loses his next fight to Gone. Surreal Pavlovich versus Derek Lewis. Fight has not happened yet. So I guess apparently what uh, we'll see what happens there. And he goes on to say, has anyone else noticed this or have another curse that has gone unnoticed? It's definitely going to be interesting to see how Pavlovich fares in his next bout. Here's what I got to say that. What made you go down that rabbit hole? When did you, when did like the, the, where the wheels start turning? Like, hold on, hold on. Are we seeing something? Is there a Derek Lewis curse? Dude, it's uh. This guy, this guy's Rain Man. This guy is Rain Man. He sees things, and and now the Lions in, in in Vegas probably will be impacted more so than Tim Donahue impacted the Lions in the early two thousands. Which, by the way, I just want to say that Netflix documentary that came out on him is total BS because it totally allows his perspective to cloud what really happened. But I digress. That guy's insane. I love it. I love this thread so much. If I'm looking at the logic of why this happens, this is probably something you'll see out of people that are like Derek Lewis. I hate to use this word, that they're gatekeepers. Um, You have guys who beat him who immediately get a top five fight or a championship fight. And so you're going to see a lot of guys lose because they go from him to a championship fight. So I I see the logic. Um, And I think Pavlovich might, in fact, follow suit because he might win and get a championship fight and then drop that belt. Now, one of the bigger news stories of the week that came out, uh, I want to say, was it maybe Sunday? 
see, or something or Monday came out that Jose Aldo uh, is retiring from MMA, was released from his UFC contract. And you know me, you never believe the R word in MMA. Perfect example, Marmorace. We'll talk about that in a minute. But you think about Jose Aldo, one of the all-time greats. There's not, not a question about it. I mean, I think we can think about all these career-defining moments when we think about Jose Aldo. The first one to me that comes up with Jose Aldo, you got to go back to WEC and when he just leg kicked the crap out of Uriah Faber, like that's something that, that comes to my mind. Um, ultimately, the Conor McGregor did not define his career after getting knocked out so quickly. But like, I think when one of the things I think about Jose Aldo is, I remember when it was announced he was going to 35, I'm like, there is no way this dude can make 35. He barely makes 45. And all he does is cut hamburgers out of his diet and the guy can make 35 pounds. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's crazy the renaissance that happened in his career, man. I really thought it was a wrap after the Conor McGregor loss, and he had a whole hell of a lot of success after that. Dude, straight up, let me put it like this. Jose Aldo, to me, is probably the third best fighter of all time, maybe the fourth best fighter of all time. It really comes down to whether or not you disqualify John Joe. Uh, he might be the fifth now that I'm thinking about it. Here are my top five okay. in order. Number one, George St. Pierre. Number two, Anderson Silva. Number three, John Jones. I hate to say it. Four, Aldo. Five, Namaga Madoff. That's my top five. And the reason being is there is no fighter in history that has made me feel the way Aldo felt during his WEC run. That guy was a phenom starting off. With that flying knee knockout, which, by the way, was preceded by four knockouts in WEC. He just looked like he was playing a different game. The way he ran through Mike Brown, the way he destroyed Jariah Faber's leg. His WEC run is, for my money, the greatest run I've ever seen in this sport. His entire WEC career. Because he, to me, was a mythical striker, a mythical creature that could not be touched. And it was just a matter of not if he would win, but how he would win. In my mind, the legacy of Jose Aldo is he will forever be the scariest champion I've ever seen. You know, there's people going to hear your top five list. You know what they're going to say. What? Where's uh, Demetrius? No. Where's Fatal? missing? Oh, dude! Look, look, Fedor's top ten, but he—he's he okay. Anders, yeah, he—that's he, a good call. Fedor to me is probably top ten, but it's just here's, I, here's the other thing. I didn't watch him fight. I didn't watch his pride fights live. Maybe I would have a different perspective if I did, but still. But I think it's also. Like you, you think about like the Jordan Lebron debate, and, and I think that when you like, I would say I, I look, I grew up in the Jordan era, so it, Jordan is always going to kind of be a little above me. But the fact is, is that when you look at mixed martial arts and even NBA, how the league has evolved, the players and athletes of today they are better than the athletes back in the day. Now, it, like in the NBA, it was a totally different thing. I mean, you know. If like a Larry Bird playing today's game and he just clotheslined the crap out of somebody, you know, we don't know how that would play out. But it's one of these things of I think the the longer we get away from those pride days, 
I think the the more and more Fedor falls down that top ten list. Yeah, it's just one of those deals where in any sport, as time goes on, the greats of yesteryear are forgotten, unfortunately. I mean, you look at the NBA and there are so many great players that people don't talk about today. Um, the guy who won the, the championship with uh, Washington, um, what the hell is his name? Uh, let, me, let me look it up real quick. But I have to literally look up his name because I don't have it offhand. He just recently passed away. I'm either thinking of Wes Unseld or – I think I'm thinking of Wes Unseld. Mm-hmm. You know, phenomenal great player. There's not many people under the age of 30 that have said the words Wes Unseld in the past five years. But he's a top 100 player of all time. Yeah. And it kind of works like that in sports. I think it's going to happen like that in MMA. It really is going to come down to how much the UFC memorializes Fedor as he retires and in his career. I don't think the UFC will. But the UFC is going to educate people about the history of this sport. That's why people weren't really talking about Frank Shamrock. You know, he, he's someone that's kind of been whitewashed away from the UFC. But he was a hell of a fighter during his time. It's probably going to happen to Tito. Uh, and, and there are other fighters like that who had great runs. And, and, you know, uh, Kid Yamamoto, um, the list goes on, Takanori Gomi. But for Fedor, I would still say he's probably the best heavyweight of all time. You got to respect what he did in Pride. But I would still put Aldo above him. I mean, we're talking about the, the best of the best. The one guy who I have who I struggle with is Nurmagomedov because really? he was so dominant and he was so good, but his run against top 10 fighters, to me, wasn't long enough when you compare it to Aldo, GSP, Silva, Fedor, Jones. Yeah, I don't think I would put Habib above Anderson or GSP. And the longevity to me is what plays into that. The longevity that GSP and Anderson had of fighting the top 10 in their divisions at at that time period. We just didn't see it out of Habib. Like, I really wonder like if Habib doesn't retire. I mean, what's it been, two years he's retired now? Is maybe a year and a half, however long it's been. Like, what if he was still fighting? I I think maybe, and if he was still dominating the way he did when he was a champion, I think maybe we look at him a little different. Maybe he would eventually pass. I mean, I think Kamar Usman was what was on his way to developing himself into you know one of those pound for pound greatest fighters ever. But yeah, I'll say this: I did mention about why you never believe the retirement word. I don't believe the retirement word, Jose Aldo, one bit. Man, we see him boxing. Who knows? Maybe we see him in May. Marlon Rice made about five months. Yeah, yeah, it felt like five minutes. But look at him, man. Where's he going? <laughs> so when I saw the tweet that he was signing with the PFL for their featherweight tournament in 2023, so moving up and wait for this one, my first thing was like, hold on, let me Google this. Mom race retirement. It was April. I think it was like April 11th was when it was announced he was retiring. And I think this is very relatable to the Tiago Santos signing that we talked about a couple weeks ago here on the podcast. I think it's a nice signing for the PFL. But... What version of Marlon Moraes are you getting? Are you getting the Marlon Moraes that we have seen over the last two, three years? Or do we see a career resurgence for Marlon Moraes? My guess is they're getting the Marlon Moraes we've seen over the past couple of years. And I mean, look, he was fighting the elite of the elite at 135 pounds, but the guy couldn't get a win. Yeah, but he was fighting the elite elite. Like he was fighting Marab, Font, Sanhagen, Yudong. Those were his four losses. And um, I look. I don't think he's gonna fight like he did in that run that earned him the uh, the championship fight against Cejudo. We're not gonna see that version of Moraes that put away Sterling and Rivera in a Sunsau. 
but he might very well win this featherweight tournament. I'm looking forward to it. It's kind of a homecoming because, you know, that's the promotion that he created his name. You know, it was the World Series of Fighting at the time. But Marlon, along with Justin Gaethje, to me, were the two best fighters of the World Series of Fighting era. So it's nice to see him kind of come home and potentially win a million dollars. And I'm going to have to look at this featherweight bracket and uh, and see if I pick him. I, I must say, the PFL is doing a good job of picking up these names. And I believe I will be much more interested next year than I am in this year's tournaments. I really do think these brackets are going to be full of names that I know and full of great talent. So I've got to say, don't know where the money's coming from, but I'm looking forward to next year's PFL tournament. And who knows, maybe they're going to sign somebody else who recently became a free agent. You know what I, before we get into that one, you know what I find weird about the PFL? What's that? Their championship is November 25th, Black Friday. Mm -hmm. We have yet to hear where this event's taking place at. You're two months away from the fights. That almost tells me wherever they're doing these fights at, I've heard some rumblings on it. It tells me that uh, they're not uh, really worried about having to sell one ticket. Oh, so you think they might do, might, might be a sold show uh, yeah. somewhere? Like where? It wouldn't surprise me if it's international. Interesting. I, I think as they're trying to develop their worldwide brand, that wouldn't be surprising me. But I was thinking about it the other day. I was like, man, their, their championship is coming up here pretty soon. And yeah. we have not heard a location on this. I got to imagine <laughs> the fighters have to know. Yeah, I mean, we're two months out. Like, you got to do the travel. It's on the fighters to do their own travel, right? They, no, they no, no. The, the, pro the promotion uh, sets that up for them. Oh. oh, so yeah, I mean, the fighters probably got to know. But, uh, I, and, and the thing is, I feel like they knew. I mean, whenever um, whenever they did the, the one of the, their latest media pushes, I feel like the topic was broached, and the way it sounded was they knew. They just didn't want to announce it yet. So I think they do know. I think it's going to be a week of media push at some point. But, yeah, it, the rumors of it being a sold show or something like that make a lot of sense because that affects ticket sales, not actually saying where your show is going to be as you time goes by. Yeah, I don't know if you saw this. This was I saw it maybe last week, maybe two weeks ago, where RMA was, was talking somewhere. And the UFC event locations came up. And one of the things that he mentioned is he believes that uh, 30 to 40% of the UFC shows going forward will be site fee deals. And for those who, who don't know what that means, it's basically a venue is paying the UFC to come into it. Like if you, if you go back and you watch UFC 278, you'll hear, I think they kept calling it the Utah Sports Commission, which to me said... The, the state of Utah paid the UFC to have that event in Salt Lake City. Damn. Oh, as long as Brett Favre is not involved, I think it'll be good. But uh, that's, that's uh, you know, I, I think these companies feel better about making money without the uh, the agonizing uh, ticket sales. Well, and, I mean, uh, look, I think if you're you're not if you're not named UFC in this brand, I think that's the best way to go. If you can get a site fee deal, I mean, that was a core business philosophy for Bellator for a long time. Yeah, I think the only flip side for PFL if it's not a site fee deal, maybe they're trying to book the main event. Maybe they're trying to book Nate Diaz versus whomever. Announce that. Announce the ticket sales. 
But yeah, it does seem like a trend towards a Saifi. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned about a potential fire who could and maybe heading to the PFL at some point. That is Eddie Alvarez, as it was revealed last night, that he and one championship have parted ways, an amicable split between the two. Eddie Alvarez on Twitter, because it was uh, initially a post uh, from the South, Chi- South China Morning Post, it, which is a great website. If you want information on one championship, that is the place to go. Eddie Alvarez on Twitter says, confirmed, I am no longer with one. One, we part ways amicably, and I remain on good terms with the one team. I want to thank Chartree for the opportunity, and I look forward to watching their continued success. I'm officially a free agent and ready to hunt. Tell those who's next. And right when I saw the, the tweet mentioning about that he had parted ways, my initial first thought was PFL. Someone, uh, you know, bare knuckle to me is another one that comes to mind as I mean, I think if you're Eddie Alvarez, those two would be the promotions that would open you that would show Eddie Alvarez the bag. And what I mean by that is showing him the money. You know, one of my followers on Twitter mentioned Bellator. I just don't think Bellator opens up the bag the way PFL and bare knuckle would be for Eddie Alvarez. But uh, I would like if you told me make a bet right now or Eddie Alvarez next fight is my, my money would go on PFL. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think he's, I think he's in that weight class that are trying to build lightweight. You know, there are some names that are being signed there. He makes a lot of sense in the next tournament. He he's a name. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel less confident about his career moving forward than I do about Marlon Moraes. Kind of felt like his one FC run was very snake bitten. Suffered some big upsets there. Uh, suffered, you know, some. It wasn't like we don't know for sure where Eddie Alvarez is at. It wasn't an indictment of where he's at. There was, you know, it wasn't clear cut. So yeah, I I, I don't know, but uh, I do think PFL is next. I think he's a name, and uh, you know, the one thing I always wish would have happened is I really wish we would have gotten um, Chandler versus Alvarez three. Uh, you know, we won't get it anytime soon, but this maybe opens the door down the line for something like that to happen if he has some success in his run but yeah bare knuckle you can't roll that out either you know now i do not know the answer to this question daniel sent this to me in a text where you said that there is a fire you think the ufc's needs to make a number one priority in terms of signing i can't wait to hear who this name is uh who would you guess or let me not even guess who i think who do you think is the number one fire the ufc should sign are they currently a free agent um yeah, they could. Uh, oh, crap. This person might not be a free agent. Uh, let's pretend they're not. Let's pretend they're let's pretend they're they're they're, they're not a free agent. I mean, the first thing that would come to mind, not thinking of their contract situation, to me would be Kayla Harrison. Yeah, yeah. And that might be the correct answer. But the fighter that I have that the UFC should sign, he's also 27 years old. He has never fought before but he was in the news this past weekend. I think they, the UFC needs to figure out how much money they need to throw at Gordon Ryan. Gordon Ryan is someone the UFC needs to bring. Sing. This guy has freaking, he's an unbelievable marketer. He's put the ADCC, the ADCC in uh, where it's popular. You have people in the stands. He had this big super fight that I watched, I watched the pre-fight video where he took an Andre Galvao. I watched the fight. It's absurd what he did uh, against Galvao. Just completely dominated him. This guy understands how to market himself. He has single-handedly 
brought the jujitsu sport and made it more accessible and more popular than it ever has been. Putting Gordon Ryan in the UFC infrastructure, he could be their biggest star. Before you mentioned his name, there was a name that popped in my head because you mentioned about how this person had been in the news recently. And I was like, I don't, he's not 27. He's much younger than that. Gable Stevenson, that? because I did see a thing oh, on, yeah, on Twitter yeah. that there's apparently uh, struggling, I guess, is the term that's being thrown out there that they're still needing more development needed for him before they start putting him on on WWE television. That's a good one. I could absolutely see that down the line because, yeah, they already thought they would put him on there. Yeah, maybe that doesn't work out. He becomes available if he doesn't make the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, the, that's a hell of that's a good one. I, I just feel like between Gable and Gordon, I feel more confident in Gordon having success in the UFC largely due to one thing. He is so locked in and disciplined when it comes to his training regimen. I mean, this dude – it's, it's absurd what he has done in the sport of no-gi grappling. Like, people throw, have thrown out the quote, he's the most dominant athlete ever, and it's not ridiculous because of how dominant he is. He, he, he goes out and he has on a note what submission he's going to put a guy and he gives it to the announcers, and then he does it, and they open it. This guy on the ground is another level, and it's a testament to, I believe, his work ethic, which I think is otherworldly. And so that's why I just think Gordon Ryan would be a successful UFC fighter. That's the one thing about the pandemic, because we were all sitting at home and I found myself really growing to love submission grappling. Yeah, they, that was a big thing in the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, mean, I, was, I was every time there was a shell son in submission underground show I was watching. I found myself really in, intrigued about that. And if you notice on the the regional side of mixed martial arts, a lot of these organizations are going to mix shows where, you know, part of your card will be MMA, part of your card may be uh, submission grappling, and it may be kickboxing as well. You know, Shamrock FC there uh, in the Missouri area, they've been doing this for a long time. And uh, one championship really has been doing this big time in, in terms of it. But, you know, you're seeing more and more of these regional shows going out there. By the way, uh, I am planning to go to the UFC event in December in Orlando. Hey, what is, have they put fights on that fight card already? Uh, I believe, I think I saw the main event. I don't think they've officially announced the main event, but I think there's been rumblings of it. Maybe Jack Hermanson. Um, did you go to the last one they did in February? Uh, no. Oh yeah. So. It's, it's been, it's been a while since I've been to a UFC event. Um, Derek yeah. Brunson, Jack Hermanson. Is like, uh, right now kind of the the candidate to be the main event. Well, you know it's going to be a good fight card because this on the Apex, so they got to sell tickets. So, yeah, yeah, it's I, yeah, uh, it's, it's the week before the uh, the December pay per view. Yeah, yeah, well, it'll be good. You can get out there and see the 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 badass uh, pre pre show video. That you told me about the Bob O'Reilly one, which is awesome. I saw it on YouTube. Got got my got my goosebumps going. Yeah, it's. Uh, I always, you know, I love going to events. I just love going with the boys and you know having some beers and watching the fights and uh, people watch. Yeah, and just scream 
Fuck it, don't bleed. I mean, fuck it, just bleed. <laughs> Dude, like, like the, the funniest part about that clip is the media members laughing. Yeah, dude, it got everyone. Dude, it came from nowhere, and you can't laugh. If you're That's not a what fan. I was like. I have no idea who that reporter is. I I, I don't didn't recognize his voice, and I'm sitting there going like, "Damn, I want to bring him on the podcast." And go, did that just come to your mind? Yeah. And how much was, of that is Dana White? Like, did he just say that? <laughs> he probably thinks that a couple of times for a press conference, man. Some of those guys are out there. Like you know, there's someone who's going to make a shirt says, that says "F it, just bleed." Yeah, it's it's awesome. It's a mantra. I love it. Love it. Love it. I'm I'm sure we'll see some fighters bleed on Friday for Bellator 285 afternoon mixed martial arts action main card 1 p.m. Eastern time on YouTube main card four o'clock Eastern time on Showtime, and you know Bellator look. I feel like they've missed an opportunity with this fight card because all the MMA eyes should be on Bellator uh, this week. It's going to be headlined by Benson Henderson, who now has a new deal with Bellator, taking on Peter Cleary, got Yoel Romero, taking on Melvin Manhoff, which that is one of those fights, Daniel. I hope we don't are not sad after watching that fight. Yeah, we're either going to be sad or bored. I think we're probably going to be sad. We're either going to see a finish, and whoever gets finished will be sad or bored, and that both guys will kind of not engage. But honestly, that's probably going to be a really good fight. But, I mean, yeah, I thought Melvin Manhoff should have retired 10 years ago. Um, but here we are with this fight, which is the most attractive fight on the fight card. This fight card just doesn't do it for me, but I'll still be watching. We'll still talk about something if something's noteworthy. Uh, you know, there's no UFC this week, as you mentioned. But, yeah, I mean, you know, Benson, I think uh, he's in a position to get a win here against Peter Queeley. But, you know, Queeley's tough. But overall, this fight card just doesn't excite me, man. I, I just don't think anyone in the MMA world is going to be talking about this fight card on, on, on Saturday morning. No, now this fight card, uh, uh, I sent you over the fight card that was in a Bellator press release. It notes about you have a matchup of two women's featherweight and mentions Liam McCourt, number five, number nine, Deanna Silva. I just pulled up the Bellator ranking system. That is wrong. There's no Oh. We only have up to number seven challenger in the division at this point. <laughs> you, have Chris, you have Chris Cyborg and seven other eligible fighters that would be ranked in featherweight. So um, she's the ninth ranked fighter in the seven-person division, which uh, <laughs> apparently vacant. There are two people who are vacant above her. That's hilarious. Yeah. yeah, I'm just scrolling yeah, that, through to that, see that, if any fighters have been eliminated from the rankings, and I'm not seeing any. So that's, I guess that's a good sign from the men's divisions. Yeah, nice little typo. Yeah. Um, Maz Brunel, Pedro Carvalho, that should be a good fight. Uh, Brett Johns is on this card. Uh, George Carahanian is on this card. Of course, James Galher was supposed to be on this card, but he suffered an injury, so uh, he's out of this one. Of course, Bellator does got a big event next week. Uh, that's a Pitbull Borax and also McKee and Spike Carlisle card, but I just kind of feel like this could have been a great opportunity for Bellator. I mean, it's one of those things of like, and I said this the other day to somebody, like, I just feel like Bellator in a way has kind of become the forgotten promotion. And like, if you, if you were going to say who the number two MMA organization in the United States is right now, I probably say it is PFL just because of, I mean, obviously they're giving fighters the bag, but it just feels like that's where fighters want to go. It's, it's a deal where, um, 
we did the hot take segment and you told me Bellator wouldn't be around a year from now, I wouldn't know if I would agree or disagree. And it's not to say, it's just to say, I hope that's not the case. But the thing is, the, the product has not been hot for a long time now, and they haven't been putting out the product that often. And I'm really concerned about the promotion. Yeah. You I, know, I, I, yeah, I think I, they're going to write the ship, but it's still. I feel like being on Showtime hurts them. Yeah, it, because it I, I limits how many people can watch them. It has, yeah. yeah. And they just aren't putting on fights that are getting the interest, and you are right. There are very few weeks where the UFC is not running. It's an opportunity to get all the attention. Had they put a badass fight card this week, that's what people would be talking about on Wednesday. Yeah, no question. That's not the case. Yeah. That's yeah. Case. I'll be interested on Friday afternoon to see what does my Twitter timeline look like and how many people are talking about Bellator. I think that that'll be kind of interesting, but that is going to do it for this edition of the MMA Report Podcast. Appreciate everyone tuning in for this edition of the show. Next episode will come out on Sunday. I've got a loaded up uh, show coming up for you. Uh, JJ Wilson, Max Roshkoff, Mike Hamill, Trey Ogden, Lance Gibson Jr. will all be on that episode of the podcast, so be sure to check out that. Hit that uh, you know like, follow, subscribe, rate, review, all that uh, really does help the podcast out a lot as well. So that's going to do it for this edition of the MA Airport Podcast. Comes out two times a week on Wednesday and on Sunday on your favorite podcasting platforms and radioinfluence.com. I'm Jerry P. Tuck, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. <laughs>